Today in Acts chapters 27 and the first part of 28, we are going to see uh, the, the beginning of the end of Paul's journey to Rome. Now, we've known since Acts chapter 23 that Paul was going to go to Rome. Jesus appeared to him and said, just as you have testified to me in Jerusalem, so also you will do so in Rome. And all of Paul's life has been sort of slowly marching toward Rome, the capital city, of the empire. Now, here in Acts chapter 27 and the first part of 28, uh, we won't read all of the passage today. We'll, we'll read uh, key parts throughout, um, but much of it details uh, in great detail his journey by ship from Caesarea to Rome. And many of you are probably familiar with this story. As the ship starts out, or as the the travel starts out, um, it does not start out well. They take a little bit longer in going than they ought to, and they get uh, to where they are sailing during a time of year that is not safe to sail in. The captain of the ship and the centurion that is charged with guarding Rome, they want to go on and to press through even though Paul says, hey, I don't think it's a good idea. We might all drown if you do this. They do it anyway and they get stuck in a horrible, horrible storm. A uh, storm that will uh, ultimately shipwreck their boat on a reef near uh, the island of Malta, which is a small island off of the southern shore of Sicily. Sicily is the football-shaped island that the boot of Italy is kicking, for those of you who are good at geography. Uh, that's, that's where Malta is, small little island. And there, uh, Paul and all the people on the, on the ship, even though the ship was wrecked, all of them will make it safely to shore there. They'll spend some time the, uh, there on Malta, uh, 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 fording through the winter, and then uh, they'll jump on another boat that will take them uh, up the coast and into Italy, and Paul will make his way to Rome. Now, in these chapters, there's a lot of technical sailing jargon, and so those of you who grew up in New Mexico and love sailing, uh, <laughs> none of you, uh, uh, or who have maybe just a, uh, you just have a, a hobby, a sailing hobby, or you like to learn about sailing because you like to learn about things you can never do in your backyard in New Mexico, you'll be uh, interested in much of the language that is going on here and much of the detail and the directional things that they are going uh, it, had we more time, we would, we would read all of these things and get much more into the detail. But I want to look at just uh, a few key points, uh, uh, important things that come to us from the passage this morning. Most importantly is this idea, that even though Paul's life in these chapters is threatened by a storm at sea on his way to complete his, his life's work in Rome, that even though his life is, threatened, uh, life is threatened, God is present and God continues to provide for Paul in ways that affirm and secure the fulfillment of God's promise to Paul that he will preach in Rome. God has made a promise and in chapters 27 and the first part of 28, he is keeping that promise even in the middle of storm and shipwreck. What I want for us to understand this morning is that what God has promised in his word, he will personally fulfill. His promises can be trusted, friends, because he is present and because he always provides perfectly and powerfully for his people. As we read uh, and study this text this morning, I hope that we individually and together as a church would find encouragement to trust God more daily because of his proven provision, his proven presence, his, his proven power and promise, his trustworthiness to us. Let us begin by looking at the central passage of this text where God reaffirms his promise to Paul in Acts chapter 27, verses 21 through 25. Would you stand with me 
as we honor God by reading his word. Now, up to this point, the, uh, those that were traveling on the boat, some other prisoners, some guards, centurions, some other uh, traveling uh, co- uh, commercial-type people, uh, they'd been stuck in the, in the storm and had gone for a long time without food, uh, about two weeks. In verse 21, Luke continues writing. He says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Mind you, this is in the middle of a storm. Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be, as, it, that it will be exactly as I have been told. And God bless his people as we study his word. You may be seated. We begin our study of this passage this morning by looking first at, again, God's promise. God's promise to Paul that he will go to Rome, that he will uh, uh, testify to the risen Jesus in front of Caesar, the uh, emperor of Rome. That is God's promise, that Paul will testify in Rome. Now, the vast majority of chapter 27 and most of chapter 28 is a very detailed account of the treacherous and ill-advised sea voyage that Paul and several others are taken on by the centurion who is charged with guarding Paul. They shouldn't have gone on this journey. Paul knows it. He told them, but they go anyway. At several points, the lives of everyone on the ship, we'll find later there are 276 people on this boat. At several points, the lives of all of these men are in danger. Even Paul, who himself is not an experienced seafarer, is aware of the danger of traveling at the time of the year that they are traveling. In chapter 27, verses 9 and 10, there we read, Since much time has passed, had passed and the voyage was now treacherous, because even the fast was already over. He's speaking of the fast of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which happens in the fall of each year. Once you start getting into wintertime, it's not good to sail. The fast was already over, and Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. There Paul warns the centurion uh, who's commanded to guard him, Julius is his name, that they should not travel because of the time of year that, it is, that, that, that has come. It's getting really close to a dangerous time to sail. Nevertheless, Paul's advice is ignored by both the centurion and the captain of the boat, and they go on sailing anyway. Now the crew themselves will try to sail along the south side of the Isle of Crete. It's a small island in the Mediterranean, just east of uh, west of Cyprus. But violent weather will ultimately drive them off course and and push them away from the safety of the harbor of the island of Crete. And while they're being tossed about and, and while they are tossing all of their tackle overboard in the middle of the tempest, all of them fearing for their lives, Paul is, as we read in verses 21 through 25, he is visited by this angel of the Lord who bears to him again the same promise that Jesus gave him in Acts 23, verse 11. Paul, you will not die before you testify in Rome. It looks bad. It feels bad. You're seasick. Everybody's throwing everything overboard. This is a terrible situation, but don't worry. You won't die. This promise to Paul that you will, Paul, preach before Caesar serves as the centerpiece of these two chapters, 27 and 28. 
This promise of Christ is the anchor that steadies Paul's hope in this literally deadly storm. It is because of this affirmation of Christ's promise to Paul that Paul himself can then become a stabilizing and even a hope-giving source to those whose lives are threatened alongside him. Can you imagine this? You've got almost 300 people on this sailing vessel, and you're in the middle of this storm. All of, these, all of the crewmen and everybody else are throwing everything they can overboard to lighten the ship so that it won't be bogged down by the crashing waves. And there's Paul sitting, almost like Jesus, calm in the middle of the storm, saying, guys, don't worry. It's going to be fine. Nothing to worry about. An angel visited me and said, everything's going to be great. I mean, just put yourselves in the shoes of someone on the boat while all of this is going on. And yet here is Paul, assured, affirmed, confirmed, certain that everything will work out the way that God has intended it to work out. He becomes, because of God's promise, a source of hope and stability in the middle of uncertainty and chaos. Dear friends, in times of uncertainty, and even in times of certainty, in times of safety or in danger, in times of health or sickness, when everything is going right in your life or it seems like everything is going wrong in your life, I encourage you this morning, remember the promise of Christ's presence to his disciples. Remember the promise of Christ's presence to his disciples and let it embolden you and give you peace. Paul has this promise from Christ, you will not die until you testify in Rome. But Christian, every one of us has a promise from Christ before he ascended to heaven. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission. We say it here often. You know how that passage starts. Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean? It means Christ is in charge. There is nothing that he is not in control of. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Jesus closes this way. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Christ's promise to his church, that he will be with us always to the end of the age. Whether things are going great or things are going terrible, whether we are in good health or we are in terrible health, whether we live in relative safety or or we are at danger of losing our lives, Christ is with you, Christian. And do you know why you can believe that promise? Because he has all authority in heaven and on earth to make that promise. Remember the promise of Christ's presence to his disciples. Christian, let it embolden you. Let it give you peace as you walk through times of uncertainty. We see God's promise to Paul. We see also at several points throughout this text, God's provision. God has made a promise to to Paul, and he's going to provide for Paul to ensure that his uh, promise is fulfilled. At several points throughout this narrative, and we're going to be flipping through pages here in a moment, God reminds Paul of his trustworthiness to be good to his promises by providing for Paul and for the others on the ship. How does God encourage his servant that his promise will be fulfilled? By providing for Paul all along the way. Look at the first aspect of God's provision. First, we see it through the church. Through brothers and sisters, other people who trust Jesus the way that Paul does. In chapter 27, verses 1 through 3, we read this. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in a ship of uh, Adramatium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. 
And the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go see his friends and to be cared for. In chapter 28, verses 14 and 15, as this portion of our narrative closes, we read this as they finally arrive uh, to Rome. There, Luke writes, the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. All throughout this journey, from beginning to the end, Paul is comforted and encouraged by his friends, by fellow Christians. The first verses of chapter 27, as this portion of the narrative plays out, tells us that Luke himself was present with Paul. Uh, Luke, again, is employing the first-person plural language. We set sail. So Luke is including himself in this narrative. And Luke is not the only friend of Paul that is with him. So also is Aristarchus, a Macedonian from the city of Thessalonica. Now, neither of these two brothers, Luke or Aristarchus, had any obligation to accompany Paul on this journey to Rome. They they didn't owe Paul anything. They weren't conscripted with him. They weren't under arrest also. But purely out of their love for their brother and their desire to see to his needs, they make this journey. Before Paul leaves on this treacherous journey, he is allowed to see the members of the church at Sidon. Uh, Julius, the centurion, is kind to Paul. and He says, yeah, while we're ported here, you can go and see your friends there at the church. Chapter 27, verse 3 tells us that Paul went to see his friends and there was cared for. And then just before they got to the capital city of Rome, we read that Paul meets with the brothers uh, there in an Italian city called Puteoli. I've never been there, but maybe I'd like to one day. In fact, church members from all around the region came. We We read there from three taverns and from other places to meet Paul, to greet Paul, to thank God for him and to encourage Paul. God provides for Paul through the church in these chapters. No one understand this, that the church is God's gift to Christians. This family of faith, these brothers and sisters that we join our lives to as we all together mutually trust in Jesus is a gift of God to you, church. This church family is God's gift to you. So be encouraged by her. Find your encouragement with brothers and sisters that you know and care about and who know and care about you. Be encouraged by the church in difficult times when it's hard to remind yourself of the promise of Christ's presence. Be encouraged, be reminded of that promise by being with the church. And also commit to encouraging her. Be, be encouraged by the church, dear Christian, when you're struggling. But also commit to give your life an encouragement to other Christians when they are struggling. This church is a family, but not a family for our our own personal sake and benefit, but for our mutual growth and edification, our, our building up in love in Jesus Christ. Recognize the gift of God to you in the church. Find encouragement in her and be an encouragement to her. God provides through the church. God also provides for Paul through the uncommon kindness of others. Through the uncommon kindness of others. And interestingly enough, through strangers and non-Christians. The first example is Julius, the centurion who's charged with guarding Rome. God provides for Paul not only through the friends in the churches that he meets, but through these strangers also. And the first of these strangers is this centurion, Julius. Luke notes that Julius treated Paul kindly in chapter 28, verse 3. He treated him kindly by allowing him to visit the church in Sidon. Now, Paul didn't have necessarily any rights to be let go to go visit this church, but Julius, for whatever reason, 
seems to like Paul, seems to trust that Paul can, can, uh, can be trusted to, to leave his, his care and, and, uh, and his watch care and, and return uh, when asked for. <clears throat> and so he treats Paul kindly and allows him to go be encouraged by the church. And even in the middle of this horrible storm, as many in chapter 27, verse 43, as many of the soldiers are planning to kill the prisoners as the, the, the ship is at danger, right? If, if prisoners escape, uh, those guards, those uh, soldiers who have been charged with keeping those prisoners, their lives will be at risk. So it's better to kill the prisoner than to let them escape. So uh, while the ship is about to go under, all the soldiers are looking at the other prisoners on the ship and they're going, let's just kill them all so that we don't lose our own lives and then maybe we can survive this storm too. In the middle of all of that, Julius, who seems to like Paul, tells all the soldiers, stop, don't harm anyone. He does it for Paul's sake. We don't know why, but he likes Paul. He's uncommonly kind to this prisoner. And his uncommon kindness to Paul then serves as a blessing to the other prisoners as well. God provides for Paul through the uncommon kindness of Julius. But he also provides for Paul through the uncommon kindness of the Maltese natives. Now we said before that the ship that they're traveling on would become shipwrecked on this island of Malta. That, that part of the narrative begins in the uh, first part of chapter 28. The Maltese natives that are there are not Christians, and yet they uh, see these prisoners and others washing up on shore, swimming to shore, and they begin to care for them, show them hospitality. All these men uh, are, tra- are traveling or, or swimming uh, onto shore as the boat runs aground on a reef. And there immediately, Luke says in chapter 28, verse 1, we were brought safely through when we learned that the island was called Malta. And now the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. The native people showed us unusual kindness, Luke says making a fire for us, allowing us to be warmed and to be dried. Friends, neither Julius nor these Maltese natives are Christians, but they are uncommonly kind to Paul and to the others. They have a hospitality. They have a, a concern, a care for these other human beings in these verses. And we might be tempted to say, oh, what nice people. Well, Julius was just a nice guy. These Maltese people are just nice people. And that may in part be true. They're just hospitable by nature. While we might be tempted to say, oh, what nice people these are, we ought to do the better thing and to see God's gift of provision through these people and instead say, thank you, God, for the kindness of strangers, even for the kindness of non-Christians. Friends, God uses all kinds of people in our lives to bless us and to provide for us, even non-Christians, even non-believers. God, who is sovereign over all the universe, has the right to do with whom he wants to do. Right? He can do whatever he wants with anybody that he wants to do with. So if he wants to bless your life, Christian, to give you encouragement, to give you care during a time of trial, because, uh, through the, the life, the kindness of a non-believer, God can do that. So when you are treated kindly by strangers, whether they're Christian or not, recognize their kindness as the provision of God. And return it with gospel-driven care and kindness as well. Seeing the goodness of God in the lives of strangers who may or may not believers, God blessing you through other people's lives, you turn and, and, and return that kindness, return that care with the gospel, with, with a life filled with the gospel. Point those who are blessing you to Jesus Christ who has blessed you best. 
God provides for his servant Paul through, uh, uh, through, through uncommon kindness, but he also provides for Paul through common grace. Through common grace. In chapter 27, verses 33 through 35, we read this. As day was about to dawn, this is the day that they'll ultimately be shipwrecked and, and, and actually saved by shipwreck, oddly enough. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged all of those on the boat to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. In the middle of this storm, Paul notices that the other 275 men on this boat have not eaten in many days. Two weeks, 14 days without food. I don't know if any of you have tried to do a fast before, but I can barely make it through 14 minutes, much less 14 days. Perhaps recognizing that hungry men are likely to drown if they try to swim, and having been encouraged by the visitation of the, Lord, of the angel of the Lord previously in this passage, Paul then encourages the men to eat. Take some food, guys. Don't starve yourselves if you don't have to. Paul knows that God is with them. Paul knows that God is providing for them. Paul is aware that God is fulfilling his promise to keep him safe all the way until Rome. So Paul's not worried about the, about the storm at sea. So he says, guys, let's just sit down and eat something. Even in times of uncertainty or danger, dear friends, see the provision of God and his common graces. Now, we as Baptists should be well aware of the common grace of food. That's a joke. (laughs) Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I love Christmas too, don't get me wrong, but I really enjoy Thanksgiving because you get to eat good food. It's a good time of year to give thanks for the provision of God through ordinary things like green bean casserole. And if you don't, we had to talk about this as a staff this week. If you don't have the crispy onions on top, it's not green bean casserole, it's heresy. God is good to us through common things like food and shelter and clothing on our backs. God provides for us through common grace. And here we see God providing for Paul and continuing to encourage Paul and the other people on the boat. You read, we read there in verse 36 of chapter 27, they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. In times of uncertainty or in danger, in times when things in your life are going great, or times of your life where you don't feel like there's a whole lot to be thankful for, see the provision of God and his common grace to you. Do you have shelter? Do you have clothes on your back? Do you have food for your stomach? Then, dear friends, see these for what they are. They are God's constant provision and continued care in your life. Be encouraged by God's provision through common grace. And know this as well, that all that you have All that you have in this life is from the Lord, every bit of it. So then, especially you, Christian, be intentionally grateful to God for his provision. God is the author and creator of all things. He is the only being in the universe that is dependent upon nothing and no one else. All of it belongs to him. 
All that you have in your life is from God's own provision. Now, yes, I get that you work hard for a paycheck to provide for your family. But listen, even that is from God. The ability, the strength, the natural talents that you have to work the jobs that you work. That comes from God. The money that your employer is able to afford to give to you comes from the, 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 the commercial interactions and transactions of other people. All of which God has, has blessed and ordained to bless his people. So all that you have is from God. God. Be intentionally grateful to God for his provision. It is incredibly easy to take these blessings for granted. It's incredibly easy to look at the clothes we wear, the food that we have, the, the, the house that we, that, that we are paying the mortgage for, and to assume that we are in charge of those things. Like, I work hard at my job so that I can pay my mortgage and put food on my kid's table and clothes on my kid's back. I did all of that. But dear friends, that is an incredibly arrogant and self-centered way to see the world and things around us. Because all of us are, are, are just a moment's passing away from losing all of those things. Our lives are incredibly fragile. So know that whatever that you have is from the Lord. And even the things that you don't have are from the Lord. Maybe you lament the fact that you don't have a better job that pays more money or has the schedule that you need. Or maybe you lament the fact that you don't live in a bigger house. Maybe you lament the fact that you live in too big a house. I don't know. But whatever it is that God has given you, or even the things that you don't have or that you lack, even your lack is from the Lord. Even your lack is from the Lord. And, and, and I'm not here saying this to you as someone who's figured this out. I have to, I deal with, I struggle with the things that I want in my life and don't have all the time. All the time. It's just, it's kind of the sinful, fallen human nature to want things that God has not given. I struggle with that. And daily, I have to remind myself, Stephen, even the things that you don't have are from the Lord. Even the absence of things in your life is from the Lord. Trust that God is good, Stephen. Trust him. You preach to your people every single week to trust that God is good. Live it yourself. Dear friends, all we have and all we lack, all of it is from the Lord. So be intentionally grateful to God for his provision. Third and finally, we see uh, not only God's promise to Paul that he will preach in Rome, not only God's provision to Paul through the church and through uh, the uncommon kindness of others, through common grace, but now we thirdly see God's saving power in this passage. We see first God's saving power to save through the storm. To save through the storm. The storm that these 276 men faced on that sea was real and present danger to their lives. That reminds me of the movie with Harrison Ford, Clear and Present Danger. I don't know what that movie's about, but I just, I, I, I've seen it. I just don't remember it, but I think of it as I say that. These men were facing a clear and present danger on that sea. A good many of them even assumed that if they did not leave the ship that they would die. They were saying, look, we got to get on the dinghy. There's a lifeboat here. We got to get in this thing and try to row it to shore or do something. And Paul says, no, don't do that. In fact, if you get in the boat, it'll be even worse for you. So they cut the boat and let it loose and trust Paul. The Lord reveals to Paul that the only way to live is to remain on board the ship, and they do. And so in chapter 27, verse 43, we read, And so it was that all were brought safely to land. They listen to Paul, they stay on the ship, and they are saved by God through the storm. 
see this morning, friends, that it is God's will for these men to survive. It is God's will that all of these men survive. But that it is will for them to survive, not by being saved out of the storm, but by going through the storm, by enduring it, not by being rescued out from it. Dear friends, this is an important, I think, principle for us to understand. That sometimes God does not want to save us out of things, but to save us through things. So then believe and trust that just as God was powerful to save these men through this storm, that God is powerful to save you through the crises in your life. Through the difficulties that you face. Through the dangers and uncertainties that are present. It may be God's will to save you, to rescue you as you go through those things. Not to just pluck you out of them. So often we pray, God, save me from this thing. Take this thing away from me. Get this thing off of me. We know that Paul himself had some sort of thorn in the flesh, as as he called it, some sort of physical impediment that kept him from being as effective with the gospel as he wanted to be. And he prays to the Lord three times, Lord, remove this thing from me. Remove this weakness from me. And God says, no, because my power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, I'll save you, but I'm not going to save you from this. I'm going to redeem you through this. Friend, believe and trust that God is powerful to save you through the crises in your life and not only from them. God's saving power is is present to save these men through the storm. It's also present in chapter 28 to save from a deadly snake bite. Now, just as surely as God brings Paul and the others through the storm, Paul finds himself in another crisis. They're shipwrecked on this island of Malta. And as the Maltese natives come out and begin building a fire, Paul is is not too big a man to go and gather sticks to help with the work. And so he's gathering some sticks for the fire. And as he's throwing the sticks onto the fire, we read there in chapter 28 that a snake that had been sleeping in the the coolness of the sticks, now as he's close to the fire is uh, awakened and he pops out of the sticks sticks and and latches on to Paul's hand. We read in chapter 28 verses 4 through 6 this. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, "No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live." Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. It's kind of a comical scene here in Acts, and there have been several of those. These islanders, these Maltese natives, familiar with the kind of snake that bit Paul, fully expected him to swell up and die, but he doesn't. They know this kind of snake. These are natives to the land. They've seen people get bitten by the snake, swell up, and die before. And they're waiting for it to happen to Brother Paul. Now, we know that Paul is not a god. But that only God could have saved him from being affected by the venom of this snake. Paul does not receive worship from these men on this island just as he and Barnabas rejected the worship of the pagan Greeks in Acts chapter 14, because it is God who has prevented Paul from disaster, not his own power. Paul didn't save himself. God saves Paul. And the Maltese natives, uh, uh, for all of their faulty thinking, at least recognize that something of, of divine power is at work here. 
Sometimes God desires to save you through a crisis. But other times, God wants to save you from a crisis. God intends to save you from a crisis. And here, uh, uh, God saves Paul from this crisis. So understand this, that if God saves you out of something, if God saves you from a crisis, if he stops the crisis from happening and removes you from it entirely or prevents a crisis from happening altogether, understand that if God does something like that in your life, it is not, uh, not for you to receive credit or praise, but it is for God's glory. These Maltese natives look at Paul like, hey, this dude must be a god. Paul doesn't receive any worship from these people because it's not him who deserves worship. It's God. God has power to save through a storm from a snake. God also has power to save in this passage we see uh, by healing what is broken. God has power to heal what is broken. The very same God that is powerful to save through crises from danger is also powerful to heal sicknesses. And we read, continue to read in chapter 28, uh, beginning in verse 7, this. It says, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed. And putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, Luke says, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. The same God that is powerful to save through the storm from a snake is powerful to save from sicknesses, to heal what is broken. Here, Paul comes to know the chief man of the island, Publius, and he's, he's probably, uh, as a result of uh, surviving the snake bite, has gained quite a reputation among the Maltese people. And so the chief invites him over, treats him hospitably, and there Paul finds out that the chief's dad is sick. And so he goes and prays for the man, and the man is healed. We know from every other occurrence of healing in the book of Acts, we've seen this several times over the last several months, that every act of healing is, is not accomplished by the, per, by the power of the person who is healing. So the healing of Publius' father and the many sick people on Malta is not done because of Paul's power, but by the power of God who works wonders through his servants. In every other instance of miraculous healing in Acts, every time we see someone being healed from something, the gospel of Jesus Christ is mightily preached it's interesting to note here, though, that Luke does not mention Paul preaching the gospel on Malta. Did you notice that? At the same time, friends, it's almost impossible to imagine that this constant gospel preacher, this guy Paul, who every time he has a chance to talk, is talking about Jesus. It's impossible to imagine that he did not point the Maltese people to Jesus, the Son of God, who heals not only what is physically broken, but most importantly, what is spiritually broken. God has saving power. God can save you through things. He can save you from things. He also has the power to save what is broken. Friends, this morning, more than, more than desiring to be healed from what is physically broken this morning, I, I would pray that you would receive the spiritual healing that God gives through faith in Jesus Christ. Your greatest need in this life is not to be cured of cancer. Your greatest need in this life it is not to be free from the effects of multiple sclerosis. Your greatest need in this life is not to have perfect health, but it is to be right with God, to be healed spiritually, 
to have the effects of our own sin and rebellion against God healed by Jesus, his son, who gave his life on a Roman cross in your place and in mine, taking the full penalty for our sin. So that by trusting in Him and His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, we would be made right with God. We would be justified with God. Have our sins forgiven. And our greatest need in this life or the next, which is to be right with God, would be met in Jesus. Dear friend, receive the spiritual healing that God gives by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord today. Christian, in light of all that we've read this morning, I pray that you would finally... On reflecting all that we see in Acts chapter 27, the first part of 28, remind yourself of God's power today. Remind yourself of God's power. He saves through storms, from snakes, heals sicknesses. We've seen God's power on display all throughout the course of Acts. There's almost not a single page in this history of the early church that Luke writes on which God's power is not fully displayed, wonderfully, gloriously displayed. Remind yourself of God's power. Luke, the author of this book, wants you to know that God is powerful to save. He wants the church to know that God is powerful to to send His witnesses around the world to spread the gospel, that there is nothing that God cannot do. Remind yourself of God's power. And as you're reminded of God's power, do two things. First of all, be humbled by it. See yourself rightly in the face of this powerful God. Humble yourself before Him. There is nothing He cannot do. And friends, there's plenty that we cannot do. But humble yourself before God who can do anything. And secondly, love Him for it. Love God for His power. Especially for His saving power that you who know Jesus Christ have tasted. You've seen it. You're experiencing it even now, Christian. You who trusted in Christ as the Holy Spirit of God lives within your life. You are experiencing God's power this morning. Be humbled by that, but also love God for it. Love Him for it. Worship Him for His power and for His powerful displays. God always saves the right way at the right time and for the best purposes. We've seen that in Acts chapter 27 and 28. He saves Paul and these 276 men the right way at the right time for His purposes. Could God have saved Paul out and these others out of the storm and miraculously transported them to land? Yes, but He chooses not to. All the same, He sees them through. Could God have prevented this snake ever from coming up out of these sticks? Yes, He could have. Could God have have prevented snakes from ever existing? Lord, we wish that He would have. But He doesn't. Instead, he allows some these things to take place and he saves in his way, on his agenda, in his time, and most especially for his purposes. For his purposes. Sometimes his salvation comes as he preserves us through crisis. Sometimes God's salvation comes by protecting us from a crisis. And sometimes he saves us by removing us from the crisis altogether. The gospel of God's offer of forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus demonstrates God's saving power in all of these ways. Through crisis, from crisis, preventing even the the, the potential of crisis. Because when we trust Jesus Christ for salvation, God powerfully saves us out of, He removes us from slavery to sin. We are no longer guilty for our past sins. We are now right with God. He has plucked us out of the grip of sin. 
Our salvation from sin is sealed when God sends us his Holy Spirit to live in us when we trust Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit then preserves us through and empowers us to handle the many crises that we'll face in this life. We are saved from sin and we are saved through this life, through the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives. And finally, in Jesus Christ, by faith in him and only in him, we are saved in a protective manner. We are saved, we are protected from the hell that we have earned for ourselves by our sin. And we are prepared for an eternity in His presence. God is powerful to save. Dear friend, do you know it? Have you received His saving power by trusting in Jesus? Are you humbled by the display of God's power to save you from the the treachery of your sin that you might be right with Him? Oh, then don't only be humbled by it, but love Him for it. Love this powerful God for it.